From the Financial Times in London, I'm Sarah O'Connor and this is FT News. We're bombarded every day by statistical claims, but how do we know when they're true and when they're fake news? And how do we avoid becoming unwittingly complicit by spreading misinformation on social media? It's so easy to just click retweet on a statistic that backs up what you already think. Economist Tim Harford has come to the rescue with a citizen's guide to statistics. And the best bit is, it all fits on a postcard. Tim's with me now to talk us through it. Welcome, Tim. Thank you very much. Uh, Your first bit of advice really intrigues me. You say that people should observe their feelings. What do you mean by that? My point is that we are constantly processing the information around us with emotions. We feel tribally about certain things. We feel defensive about certain claims. There are other things that we see and they justify what we always believe to be true about the world. And the latest research in psychology suggests that this kind of reasoning, it's called motivated reasoning, is very, very powerful in colouring the way that we interpret statistics and other factual claims and in our decision to share them. And so I just want people to notice how they feel about a claim that they read before they retweet it, before they try and decide anything else. Just notice your own emotional reaction and you're in a better situation to figure out what's really true. Okay, because you can't obviously stop the way you feel about an issue. But I guess your point is that you should at least be aware that you are coming to it with some sort of skin in the game. Well, quite so. There's a a great study by two political scientists, Tabor and Lodge. It's about 10 years ago. They invited people to evaluate arguments around hot button issues like um, gun control. And what they found was that people were highly biased in the way they processed information, depending on what their prior political beliefs were. And people who were actually better informed were more vulnerable to this sort of motivated reasoning. So the smarter you were, the more cognitive weaponry you had to deploy to convince yourself of whatever conclusion it was that you wanted to reach all along. So we don't overcome this problem just by being smarter We overcome this problem by noticing that, you know, we have our biases. uh, There are certain things we want to be true and certain things we're desperate to disbelieve. And we we just need to notice that. So, okay, so I've noticed that I have a a strong feeling about this statistic. And and what should I do next? You say that I should understand what the claim really is. Can you elaborate a bit? It seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it, understand the claim? But so often we don't. So if you take a claim, inequality is rising. You know this is true, Sarah, and I know this is true. But what does it actually mean, inequality is rising? Since when? Since 1970? Since 1990? Since a year ago? And by inequality, are we talking about within the UK or globally? And are we talking about income inequality or inequality of wealth, which is increasingly discussed, or maybe consumption inequality, or maybe some gender, race? There are lots of inequalities. And to get even more uh, detailed, are we talking about pre-tax or post-tax inequality? Because a lot of the ways in which inequality is measured, that's before taxes and redistribution. And then people take the data and say, and therefore we should have more tax and redistribution. And there are so many different claims that you can make about inequality that are all perfectly true. But they're not all the same. And these different ways of measuring this very important issue don't always point in the same direction. So we just need to understand what it is that's being claimed. Another example would be, and inequality is a bit, a little bit abstract, maybe a bit conceptual, but even something like nurses. So there's huge arguments raging about the staffing of the UK's National Health Service. And they tend to turn on questions like, what is a nurse? So is a midwife a nurse? Is a health visitor a nurse? Are two half-time 
nurses? Are they two nurses or one nurse? And again, there's no true, accurate definition of a nurse. There are lots of reasonable definitions. But until we understand what is actually being alleged, we're not really in a position to process it or to believe it or disbelieve it or to share it. That's deceptively simple advice, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. This next one that you have on your postcard is a bit more familiar. I think a lot of people will remember this from maths classes at school. To make a distinction between correlation and causation. Can you give us a good example of that? Yeah, and this really is a subset of understanding the claim. So very often you hear a headline that says something like, people who play violent video games are more likely to engage in violent behaviour, for instance. And so immediately you need to say, well, when you say play violent video games, what do you mean by violent? Is Space Invaders violent? I mean, you shoot things in Space Invaders. What do you mean by play? Are we talking 30 hours a week for year after year? Or are we talking you played it for 15 minutes in a laboratory before some other test? I mean, you need to pin down this claim. But then just to ask yourself, is this a causal claim or not? Very often the headlines won't even make this clear. So, I mean, the philosophers can talk about causation all they like, but very often you just need to understand, is someone making a causal claim? So one possible way of processing the claim that people who play violent video games tend to be violent people is people who maybe have a lot of testosterone, maybe they have a troubled upbringing, whatever. The fact that they're interested in violent games and the fact that they're interested in beating people up on the street, these two facts have the same cause. They're just that kind of person. And therefore, they like the violent video games and they like violence in reality. That doesn't mean that the video games made that person violent. Absolutely. But maybe the video games did make that person violent. So that would be a causal claim. And I'm not suggesting that all claims of correlation are nonsense. They can't be causal claims. As I say, that's one for the nerd statisticians and the philosophers. All I want to do is just understand when someone is making a statement about the world, is that statement intended to be causal? Or is it just saying, I've noticed that kids who are taller tend to read better? Now, is that something to do with nutrition or is that something to do with the fact that 10-year-olds have a higher reading age than 5-year-olds and also tend to be taller? (laughs) You also say that we should look out for what's been left out. What kind of information is sometimes missed out of statistics? Almost everything is almost by definition left out of any statistical claim whatsoever. And you just need to ask yourself what it is. So you might, for example, see a claim about men's pay and women's pay for instance. And you just need to say to yourself, okay, well, but this claim goes back to 2005. Okay, so what happened before 2005? So one thing that's been left out is a longer historical data set. Mm. Another thing that might have been left out is the wages of part-time workers. So maybe we're only comparing the wages of full-time men and the wages of full-time women, and we're not looking at part-timers. Now, again, I'm not saying that that means that something very dodgy is going on. I'm just saying that any presentation of data is going to leave out information. And the information might have been left out for a reason, or it might just have been left out because you can't convey everything in a single sentence or in a single graph. But you should always be asking yourself what's been left out. And this is particularly true. Many of the claims that we read are claims about averages. The average of this has moved relative to the average of that. And one of the people that I interviewed for my piece, Sir Andrew Dilnott, who used to oversee the statistics in the UK, Sir Andrew said trying to understand something by looking at the average is like trying to see what's in a room by peering through the keyhole. I mean, you will see something, but what you see is a tiny fraction of everything that you might see. Mm. And that's related, I suppose, to your next piece of advice, which is to get a grip on the backstory to this 
statistic. Yeah, this reminds me of the whole film noir thing where the the hard-boiled gumshoe detective is sitting in his office and in walks the femme fatale and you know all the all the offices in all the world this dame has walked in here you know all that kind of all the cliches so okay out of all the statistics in all the world this particular statistic has shown up on the front page of your newspaper or it's shown up in your social media feed this statistic and not some other statistic so why understand where it came from, understand the backstory. And in these days of social media, of course, generally the reason it's showed up is because people like you, the people you follow, the people you're friends with, felt it was worth sharing. So it's caught the attention of other people. It shows up in the newspaper because some newspaper editor and journalist thinks it's worth sharing. And then you can go a little bit deeper. Does it come, for example, from the Office for National Statistics or some very well-respected source? Does it come from a peer-reviewed scientific paper? If so, did you see this particular thing because it was very unusual and not really representative of the kind of claims that are normally made? It was surprising and therefore you saw it? Or are you seeing it because this is the expert's best guess at what the truth is? So just a simple example, if somebody publishes a scientific paper that says smoking causes cancer, well, I mean, smoking does cause cancer, but you're not going to see that. You won't see that claim in the newspaper. You won't see that claim in the social media feed. It's because not news it's not anymore. News. Not news. Who shares that? Somebody produces a scientific study that says that smoking doesn't cause cancer after all. We've been wrong all along. Even if it's a very rigorous, careful, scientifically conducted study, you've got to weigh it up against all of the other studies that have ever been done. Yeah. And this is probably not true. But you can bet it will be shared. You can bet it will hit the headlines. So always ask yourself, what is the process by which a statistic has come in front of you? I spoke to uh, Sir David Spiegelhalter, who's the president of the Royal Statistical Society, and he had a lovely line. He basically said, look, if a statistic is interesting enough to have been called to my attention, it's probably wrong. <laughs> oh, gosh, in that case, we're all doomed. Um, finally, your last piece of advice is to be curious. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I don't want people to think that the, the old cliche about damn lies and statistics, we can really only understand a lot of what's going on around us through the medium of statistics. There's no other way to appreciate the way the world works because there are 7 billion people on the planet and global GDP is $70-80 trillion. I mean, you, you can only interpret a lot of the human condition through statistics. But if we're going to do that, we need to be curious. And Curiosity, I think, works in two beneficial ways. One is that it just makes you do a little bit more work, to think a little bit harder, to go another click. One of the people I interviewed for my piece said, go another click. If this statistic that you've seen is worth sharing, is worth believing, isn't it worth maybe a quick Google search and just, just have a look at the source or just figure out whether it might really be true? So that little bit of extra work, curiosity motivates that one more click just to check. But the other thing about curiosity, this is the finding of some brand new psychological research out of Yale University. Curiosity tends to lower our tribal reasoning. That motivated reasoning that I was talking about right at the beginning of this conversation, where you feel very defensive about a statistic or you feel, oh, that's the kind of thing that people like me believe, and therefore I also believe it. When you have a sense of curiosity, you feel a little bit less tribal. You're just, you're just more interested in finding out the truth, trying to understand the world, almost a sense of wonder about the way the world is. Curiosity, it's a cardinal virtue. 
Thank you, Tim. And if you'd like to read the full article on Tim's postcard-sized Citizen's Guide to Statistics, do follow the link on our podcast or go to ft.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.